You don't have to look far to see that there's much darkness in our world today. Wars, the results of wars, millions of people displaced by these wars, terrorism, disease, death, financial destruction, brokenness between people, deep divides driven by racism. And it seems that many today say, as I think we're tempted to say every year, that this may be the darkest year ever. And it is indeed dark this year. And the darkness is real. But this darkness isn't new. In this broken world that's marred by sin and its effects every year has seen deep darkness. And the question for the people of God has always been, do we have any reason for hope in the midst of darkness? Does God offer any good news to people that help us endure darkness? And is in the midst of darkness, the deepest darkness, that the unique light of Christmas shines through. Some perhaps might think that Christians are naive to sing these joy-filled songs at Christmas. But in fact, Christians are the most realistic, understanding both the darkness of the world and the hope and joy that can be known because of Christmas. And today we'll see how God gives good news to his people while we're living in this darkened world. This morning we'll turn to the Old Testament book of Micah. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Micah, Micah chapter 5. The Bible's near you. You can find it on page 778. Uh, you might have a, a Bible app. You might want to open that up. Uh, if it's your own Bible and if you're honest, admit, I don't know where Micah is, that's okay. There's no shame in that. It's not a book we spend a lot of time in, so feel free to go to the table of contents. It's one of the, the smaller prophet books towards the end of the Old Testament. If you're newer to reading the Bible, uh, the larger numbers, the chapter numbers, we're in chapter 5. Smaller numbers, the verse numbers, we'll begin in verse 1. We'll work our way through verse 6. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible yourself, we as a church would love to give you a copy. So at the back of the room, there's a stack of Bibles. We'd love for you to take one of those as our gift to you this morning. So we're stepping out of our series in the book of Matthew for this Advent series today from the book of Micah. Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty and the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. 
They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. This morning in our passage, we'll see this emphasis. Know or experience peace and security in our faithful shepherd king. Know peace and security in our faithful shepherd king. And we'll see it in two parts this morning. First, the promised one comes from insignificance. And then second, the promised one comes to shepherd. So he comes from insignificance and he comes to shepherd. So first we see the promised one comes from insignificance in verses 1 to 3. This morning we're in one of these brief prophetic books that we refer to often as the minor prophets. And by minor, we don't mean less important, we just mean shorter in length. So it's kind of an unfortunate term that we use. So we refer to the major prophets, the longer ones, are like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Minor prophets are the ones like Micah. They're very brief, hard to find in the back of the Old Testament. So we're in one of those, this one called Micah, written by the prophet by the name of Micah, who prophesied during the 8th century B.C., so long before the coming of Jesus. He was a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah. And Micah, like so many of the prophets, had to deal with, uh, address the reality of sin in the world among God's people, their rebellion against God and God's pronouncement of judgment upon them. So he's speaking to that as well as the looming reality of this great enemy, Assyria, who is on the verge of attacking them. And in verse 1, we see this looming darkness that they're facing as Micah prophesies, the siege that's going to come upon God's people. Because of their sin and rebellion, judgment was coming. The darkness was very heavy in that day, very real. Similar to the dark world that we live in today. Where the darkness is real and heavy as well. And it's into this world of darkness that God gives a glorious future promise. He promises to send light. He promises to send, in fact, the true king. But notice in verse 2, in the promise of the coming of this king, where he will come. Verse 2, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who were too little to be among the clans of Judah. So the promised king would come into this world in the most insignificant, most obscure of places. This little town called Bethlehem. Now to us, Bethlehem doesn't seem very insignificant or obscure. If you've been to church much or if you've even sung many of the Christmas carols, we we hear the term Bethlehem a lot. So probably for most of us today, if I said name 10 towns in Israel, Bethlehem would be in the top 10 that we would name. But in the world of that day, Bethlehem was tiny, not, not of any note. The only thing that had happened out of Bethlehem is it's true that King David had come from there, otherwise utterly obscure. And yet this is where God intentionally would send forth the Messiah, the promised one, Jesus Christ, to be born. The Messiah, the king, would not be born in Jerusalem. Other kings in the line of David had been born there. It would make sense for a future king to be born in Jerusalem, but all those kings had ultimately failed the people of God. None of them had been the the sort of king that God's people needed. But now, in 
insignificant Bethlehem, the true king, the eternal king would step into this world. So 700 years or so after this prophecy, God would work to guide the hand of Caesar. So the ruler of the the known world of that region would command a census. So people would have to return. So, So Joseph and Mary, who normally would not have gone to Bethlehem, went there so they would be there at the birth of Jesus. God sovereignly moved those massive hands to accomplish exactly what had been predicted here by Micah. Friends, even in the darkness, God is sovereign and at work for the good of his own people, to accomplish his plan, and for his own glory. It was God's sovereign plan that he would bring the most significant birth ever in the most insignificant, obscure place. That was God's way then. And that is still God's way. He loves to accomplish his purposes through the obscure, through the seemingly insignificant, through what would appear to be weak. That's what he did in the coming of Jesus into Bethlehem. That's also the very nature of the Christian message. It is a message not of strength, but of weakness. Of a king who chooses to be weak, to die. That through his death, he might provide this gift salvation. And in the very spreading of this gospel, how does this good news, this message of Jesus' weakness, how does it spread to the world? It is through obscure, insignificant, common messengers. And why does God do that? Why does God work through the obscure, obscure, through the insignificant, instead of through the strong? He does it because he knows us well. For if he did it through the strong, we would take credit. We would brag about it. I know that I would and we would as well. And so God does it through the weak so that he alone receives the glory. And this is how God continues today. The message of the good news of Jesus Christ continues in insignificance, in obscurity. So on the plains of Tanzania, underneath trees, A small church gathers. In a simple structure in the jungles of Nepal, an obscure church gathers. In a secret place in Saudi Arabia, in Afghanistan, the church gathers. In rented spaces in Bedford and in Somerville, in crowded, cold buildings in Cambridge. In obscurity, in insignificance, the gospel goes forward. And none of those will likely become famous. Most of us will never know the names of those spreading that good news. And although the world doesn't notice, though this seems so obscure, God is at work advancing his mission into the world. And so friend, if you think of yourself as small, weak, insignificant, you're actually in a very good place where God might use you. I think it's one of the aspects of the the nature of Christianity that's honestly hard for many of us as American Christians because we don't usually do obscurity or insignificance very well. We prefer to be significant, to be known, which is so counter to the way of Jesus. 
friend, we can have hope because God brings significance from the obscure. Micah goes on then to tell us more of who it is that comes in this insignificant way. Look down at verse 2. It says, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This one who shall come forth is the ruler, the true king. But notice what he says, of this king, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. So though this king would break in, taking on flesh as a baby, this was no new king. This was the eternal king who's now come near. This phrase, the ancient of days, a phrase often used for God. So here referring to Jesus Christ, God the Son, fully God and fully man, stepping into this world. We're reminded, friends, that God's plan displayed here was not a new plan. This was always his glorious, eternal plan. God had promised long before that he would send this one true king in time. The first hint of it goes all the way back to the garden where Adam and Eve sinned. We see this just slight, obscure mentioning of a deliverer who would come starting in Genesis 3. And then it continues across the centuries. God promising he would send a deliverer. He would send a rescuer. And Here that would continue in Micah and that would be accomplished in the coming of Jesus. Friends, we want to see that God is a great promise maker and a promise keeper. God is faithful to his promises. Now the people of God had waited for this fulfillment. Prophesied by Micah, but waited for generations, for hundreds of years, waited and watched and waited and waited and waited. And friends, waiting in hope has always been an essential element for God's people. And it continues to be for us today. Waiting will always be a part of what it means to be a Christian. But right in the midst of this great darkness and turmoil, Micah prophesied, and in time, God would be faithful in the coming of Jesus, mentioned in verse 3. That the woman would be in labor and would give birth, Mary would give birth in Bethlehem. as Jesus Christ takes on flesh and comes among us. Friends, Jesus Christ came into the world to accomplish what God had promised to do. And he came at a real moment in history. Centuries before Micah prophesies, a specific place, at at the right moment, the right time, in a specific real place in history with real people around, Jesus took on flesh. Because Christianity is a faith that's grounded in history in this world. At the time of Micah, when this promise was given, they were looking forward to this, hoping for its fulfillment. Someday, the deliverer would come. We now today look back. This promise has been fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. Now today, so much of what God has promised has been fulfilled. Friends, God promised and God has been faithful to his promises There were many times in history between Micah and the coming of Jesus when God's people no doubt wondered, will God be faithful to his promise? He made this promise, but where is the Messiah? Why hasn't he come? So they wondered, they doubted. But God was faithful. And he continues to be faithful 
faithful to us, friends, but even as he's faithful to us, we too find ourselves waiting. As a Christian, we wait for the return of Jesus Christ, his second coming. We wait for the new heavens and the new earth. We wait for the final renewal of all things. And so, friends, we wait today. In this darkened world, we wait even as we've received so much in the blessings of Christ. And as we wait, sometimes we wonder, will God be faithful this time? Will God be faithful to me? So friends, we remember God's faithfulness and sending forth of Jesus Christ, God the Son. Let this remind us that our God has been faithful. He has been faithful in the past. He is faithful today. And friend, he will be faithful in the future. Now the circumstances of life and the darkness of them will try to convince us otherwise. And the darkness of this world can often be quite convincing to cause us to doubt that could God possibly be at work in the world based on these circumstances? Could God possibly care based upon what you've been longing for and waiting for that just hasn't been given to you yet? Friends, don't believe your circumstances. Refuse to believe the lies that the darkness tries to tell us. Friends, trust your faithful God today. If you find yourself waiting today, perhaps waiting in much pain, longing for God to intervene and to work in your life, friend, look back and remember God's promises in Micah. His promises fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. He has been faithful in that coming, providing a savior for you. He has been faithful to you and he will be faithful. Choose to trust him in the darkness. In this darkness now, choose to trust him. Friend, we can have hope today because God is faithful to his ancient, eternal plan. So we see in the text that the promised one comes in insignificance, but what does he come to do? So we see, second, the promised one comes to shepherd. He comes to shepherd in verses 4 through 6. We see a glimpse of what this unique, eternal king will be like in verse 4 and 5. Look down at verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So this king is the shepherd, the perfect shepherd. And notice it says he stands and shepherds his flock. So it is the idea of, of a shepherd who's active, who is on the job, who is alert. He is not a passive shepherd sitting idly by while the sheep are taken away. No, he is alert and watching. And notice that it says it is his flock that he shepherds. So this shepherd has no hired hand. He's not watching someone else's flock, but this is his flock. He knows them. He cares for them. In fact, he loves his flock. And as he stands and shepherds, we're told he does it in the strength of the Lord. So therefore, his strength is sufficient. He's strong enough to accomplish all that needs to be done for his people. So friend, this is important news. Nothing is too hard for our shepherd. 
Nothing is beyond him. And this is good news for us. Friends, this is our true shepherd. And friend, if you're a Christian, this is your shepherd. This is what your shepherd is life. Nothing you will ever face in this life is too much for your shepherd. And during Jesus' earthly ministry, he made clear that he himself was the good shepherd. And one of the most beautiful chapters, I think, in the Bible, John chapter 10. Jesus says this, John 10, beginning in verse 11. Jesus speaking of himself. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Friends, what's the greatest thing a shepherd could do for his sheep? It would be to preserve them, to save them, to rescue them. And friends, that's what Jesus Christ, the ultimate eternal shepherd, came to do. He came intentionally to lay down his life for the sheep, in the place of his sheep. Earthly kings and rulers in the past and the present build up armies to send other people to go and die for them. So Caesar says, you go and die for me. But notice what Jesus does. He does the opposite. He comes to die for us. He doesn't ask us to die for him. We who actually were his enemies because of our rebellion and sin, he comes near to die for us. Friends, there is no king like this king, Jesus. Friend, the good shepherd came to die for you. Not on your good day. But on our worst, in the midst of our deepest rebellion, when we could not have been further from him, Christ died for us. My friend, if you're not a Christian, we're so glad you would give part of your Sunday to join us. And we so much want you to know this shepherd. He's a king. But as I said, he's unlike every other king. He's the one who came to die for us in our place. And for, for those of us who are Christians, the result of what this shepherd has done, what our good shepherd is, it brings change in our lives. And so our text mentions several ways that our lives are changed as we trust in this good shepherd. First, we see that security is provided, verse 4. Security is provided because of the commitment, the alertness, the strength of this true shepherd, Jesus Christ. We're told that his sheep will dwell secure. And we dwell secure because Jesus watches over us. So therefore, we, his sheep, don't have to be fearful in this darkened world. We don't live in denial of the darkness, but we don't have to fear the darkness. We, we don't have to be consumed by worry in the world. You can imagine a sheep in the midst of a, a pasture who wants to graze but is concerned, if I, if I focus on eating, a wolf will surely come and kill me. Unsettled, insecure. But friends, that's not how we are to be because of Christ. Friends, we dwell securely, not because we're so strong, but because he's so strong. Because he is watching out and keeping us. Friends, you can rest in that. You can find grace and peace in that. That's not to say that we won't face great physical danger, sickness, suffering in this world. That is not promised to us. 
We may face great physical danger. Some die around the world today because of their trust in this gracious shepherd. But even in that, God preserves them and us to the end. In the midst of John 10, Jesus says this, John 10, 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Friend, for the Christian, that's such beautiful good news. No one and nothing can snatch you out of Jesus' hand. The worst of suffering, death, cannot snatch you out of Jesus' hand. So even in what would be the most overwhelming darkness, friend, even if you're facing the very last moments of life in this world, you are securely kept in the hand of Jesus. But do you see the good news of this? So therefore, there is nothing in this life that we have to ultimately fear. There's no danger so great that could ever pry us away from Jesus. So friend, let that give us courage. It can give us boldness. It can give us hope. We also see in our text that because the shepherd has come, access is enlarged. Access is enlarged. Look at verse 4. It says, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. How great is this king? How great is this shepherd? To the very ends of the earth, he is known and seen as great. This is because the shepherd came not for just one people. Jesus was a Jew, and he came for the Jews. There's no question about that. But he also came for the nations, for all the peoples. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10, verse 16. And I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. So what is this other flock that he mentions? This other sheep that are not of this fold, he's referring to non-Jews, to Gentiles. That would be most of us in this room. Jesus came for people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. That will be the ultimate flock on the last day. Some from every nation will be there. From every single, the the tiniest, most obscure people group, there will be some of them there on the last day worshiping Christ. This is how great and wide and deep is the love of God. Jesus Christ, the shepherd king, will on the last day be the shepherd of some Turks who we love so much. And some of the southern Pashtun will be there. And some of the Chapong people some of the Sherpas, and the list would go on and on and on. And friends, this gives us hope and helps us to persevere when we join in this mission. For the mission to take the gospel to people who have never heard in this world today is difficult and often dangerous. But we endure. Why? Because there is a promise. There will be some Pashtuns there. There will be some Turks there. So we can gladly, hopefully, join in this mission. And also because the shepherd king has come, peace is enjoyed. The people of God enjoy peace. Look at the beginning of verse 5. And he shall be their peace. This tells us that the shepherd king brings peace. But even more than that, Jesus himself, he is our peace. He is the source of our peace. For he brings peace at the deepest level. One, he brings to us peace with God. 
through our own sin and rebellion, we were enemies of God with no means from our side of making peace with God. But Christ came that he might make peace on our behalf. As he goes to the cross in our place, bearing our sin and our shame, that we might receive his righteousness credited to us. Listen to the words a little bit later in Micah. Micah chapter 7, verse 18 and 19, it says this. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Friends, that's the good news of being at peace with God. He takes your sins that Christ paid for and throws them into a sea, a bottomless sea. Your sins are tread underfoot and now peace with God. All this a gift of grace from the one true shepherd. And so, friend, if you're not a Christian, we so much want you to consider, is it possible in this life to know this peace that's alluded to? Is it possible to to live in this world where it would seem there's no peace ever to be found? But could there be an abiding, enduring peace? And Jesus claims to have come to provide that in himself, in his work, in his saving actions. We would love for you to know more about that. And friend, if you're a Christian today, this is your gift. You have peace with God. Your sins have been cast into the bottom of the bottomless ocean. You're a child of God, a new creation. You have new life now and eternal hope. And the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you as he does every single Christian. And with that comes peace. Some of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. So friend, for the Christian, we can know peace, not because we're so strong, not because we're by nature so stable, but it's because the very Spirit of God dwells in us, giving us peace, enduring peace. Peace in the midst of difficulty, in the face of worries, struggles, suffering, even facing death. Friend, there is peace for And the last way that change has come in our text, we see in verse 5 and 6. Advance is empowered. Advance is empowered. Here Micah continues using the the imagery of the looming attack of the Assyrians. And he uses that imagery to portray the future advances and the triumph of the kingdom of Jesus. The kingdom of Jesus is not like any earthly kingdom. So we don't want to misunderstand Jesus' kingdom does not come with swords made of steel. The kingdom of Jesus does not come with an army of people, coercing people, forcing people to faith in Christ. That's not what the kingdom of Jesus is like. No, no, people are not the enemy. So there is a very real enemy, Satan and his forces, the power of sin. That's the true enemy that God's people now engage with. And the gospel spreads now. This good news of the shepherd king spreads now through God's people. Not with force, though, but through love and grace, mercy, humility, service, and the sharing of the good news of this shepherd king. 
We see in the text this mention of these seven shepherds and eight princes who will be raised up. It's the image of completion and even more, saying that God's people will be provided leaders to to lead them as this good news goes forward. And how is it that our good shepherd is designed for his message to go to the nations in this insignificant way of churches, local churches? That's how the news goes forward. And how is the the local church cared for? It is by what we call under-shepherds, under the great shepherd. These under-shepherds we call pastors and elders. And he's saying, I'll provide enough. I'll provide enough shepherds for the local flock that they would join in this mission. So we do not take up swords of steel, but we do take up a sword, for the scriptures are called the sword of the spirit. We take on the armor of God. As we battle against these enemies, Satan, sin, I'm going to go forward with the good news of the gospel. Go forward with hope and love, grace, and care for others. So friends, we go forward this week into our city, onto our campus, into the workplace, into the world with this good news that the true king, the shepherd king, has come. And because he's come, it changes everything. We who have experienced this salvation, this gift of grace, go telling others of our Savior and King. And friends, this is why we as Christians, we're not naive in the midst of the Christmas season, but we move forward with an enduring, abiding hope and joy. The world is dark. It will always be dark until Christ returns. Every year will be dark in this world, but it is not hopeless. And you have not been forgotten. But our God is at work in the darkness. He's at work in your life today. So friends, let us trust in him. Let us fasten our hope on Christ who holds us tight, who will never let us go. Let's meditate on, let's know, experience the peace and security of Christ today.